The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Um, today we have Jason Thacker uh, with us again for our technically speaking portion of the podcast, and then uh, Joe Bernard is going to be joining us as well. He is a pastor in Scotland, and uh, we'll be talking about youth ministry in that uh, context. Um, before we get to that, I do want to remind you all about uh, some of the resources that we've been producing. Uh, as we've uh, said on this podcast, this is RYM's 50th anniversary, and so um, we're releasing a lot of different resources. And uh, w- one of those projects that we've been working on, we've entitled our 50 for the 50th. Uh, we are compiling 50 top 10 lists. Uh, that we'll be releasing uh, most likely every Monday. And uh, right now we've got several of those. Um, we have top 10 books on justification uh, by Greg Meyer. Uh, we have books for women in ministry uh, by Ellen Dykus. Top 10 biographies by Tim Challies. Top 10 movies Christians should watch by Brett McCracken of the Gospel Coalition. Um, and then most recently is uh, Top 10 Books on Social Media by Chris Martin, who's been on our uh, podcast, uh, on the technically speaking portion of the, of the podcast. Uh, but there's several other Top 10 lists, and again, we're releasing those every Monday, uh, so be sure to, to check in and, and check those out. Um, we, we often at RYM, we we're contacted by others asking for you know good books or resources on a certain topic, and we thought uh, this 50 for the 50th could be a way to to serve the brighter kingdom and get those lists out, but also partner with other individuals and in, in ministries. Uh, so we hope uh, that these serve the kingdom well, and we hope we actually uh, get 50. Uh, who knows? Uh, we'll continue to try to put those together. I know we've got top 10 books on prayer uh, coming out soon, as well as top 10 books on productivity um, and other other things like you know music, hymns, things like that that we hope to get out uh, throughout the year. Uh, but if you go to rym.org slash resources, you'll see the 50 for the 50th tab and you can uh, check that out. Um, typically, uh, you know that we have an essentials um, uh, podcast or essentials uh, segment of the podcast. And uh, we don't have that today, but we hope to to continue that. And then uh, we've got some other um yeah, other segments in store uh, kind of in the future, so you can stay tuned for that. Um, right now, here's our technically speaking portion of the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are here with Jason, um, closing out his time with us on technically speaking. Um, we've covered a lot of ground in this uh, little amount of time, and as we always say, there's there's plenty more to talk about. But I know last week, we were talking about some of the, the positives of technology, and of course, we'll continue to trumpet that, that there are good things that we need to celebrate and sincerely worship the Lord for, um, just His grace manifested through technology. Uh, one of the things we were talking about is just some of the health benefits with technology. Um, but let's also kind of look at the flip side of that. There are some concerns when it comes to uh, technology and, and health. I know one of the issues you raise in your book, which 
is kind of funny uh, that you quote um, Ricky Bobby, I think, in, in there <laughs> talking about um, technological advancements and him saying something along the lines of, hey, he might li live to 245 or maybe even 300. And um, it sounds kind of, again, science fiction, um, but I mean, you also get into transhumanism, um, those yeah. people who, you know, are intentionally amputating their, their limbs to get bionic limbs put on, like that's really happening, you know, in this, in this world. And so um, just kind of talk to us a little bit about some of the negatives um, with uh, trying to, you know, defeat death. I mean, as believers, we know only Christ did that, um, but just talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's kind of going back to what we've talked about the last couple of weeks is when we talk about technology, we have to say, what is it? And then when we have to kind of understand going back to those kind of fundamental questions of who is God or is there a God? And if so, what is he like? And then what does it mean to be human? That's the second question. And it's intentionally second, because to understand ourselves, uh, the Bible very clearly says we're image bearers, meaning we're reflecting God. So to understand ourselves, we have to understand who God is. And the Bible, when we talk about the nature of what does it mean to be human, I actually think that's the most pressing question. One of the most pressing questions of ethics today, um, of really of the Christian life, is we see not only in the technology space, but in terms of sexuality, marriage, transgender, LGBTQ issues, a number of these type of issues. It really comes down to what does it mean to be human? And in our scientific type age, in this more modern secular type culture, we have very different understandings of what it means to be human than the Bible does and what the Bible teaches us about the reality of what it means to be human. In the Bible, we see that we're image bearers, that we all inher inherently are dignified. We all have value. This is the concept of human dignity. This is a status that God has given to us that's different. We're created unique. I was just reading the Jesus Storybook Bible with my boys, and we were reading Genesis 1 and 2, and we see God made all things ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. And um, our boys were like, this is so cool. And they're seeing space and they're seeing all these really cool images of, you know, God creating the land and the water and the fish and the animals and all of these different things. And all of these things were good. And then when we get to humanity, God creates Adam and he creates Adam in his image. And he says, this is very good. So there's a distinction. There's a unique nature of what it means to be human. Well, in our more technological society, instead of seeing ourselves as unique image bearers, as someone who, as people who are uniquely created in God's image, have dignity, value, and worth on the basis of simply being human, um, that's challenged today where we start to see ourselves as just a bunch, a clump of cells. This is often the debates over abortion is that it's just a clump of cells, or we see, we base people's value, worth, and dignity on their contributions to society. Well, what are they really bringing to the table? What are they, what's their value? Um, you know, are they contributing? Are they a, a good utility? Are they bringing value to our society? And that's where we base their value. So we look at the most vulnerable among us, whether it's the a child in the womb or woman on her deathbed, and we say, well, they're not adding a lot of value. So we devalue debt. We, we value in some sense death because we value efficiency and speed, and contribution and utility over this innate dignity of human beings. And I think that's really, it kind of tees into this conversation about technology because there's a temptation especially in the biomedical kind of fields, but even really in just digital technology in general, is to see someone's value based on their utility, based on their uh, what they can contribute. And so we'll, we have this dehumanizing type of effect happen with social media, 
where we see each other as simply avatars uh, to say whatever we want, because it doesn't matter. It's online. These aren't real flesh and blood human beings. There are enemies. There are cultural enemies. There's someone we can attack and say whatever we want. Or on the flip side of that, we treat people as just merely bits of data. I mean, Kurt brought this up with the conversation of privacy a couple of weeks ago where data is not, it's not a person that's behind the data. It's just bits of data. We can do with it whatever we want, right? Uh, because who is it really hurting? Well, it's hurting flesh and blood image bearers that God has created that have innate value, worth, and dignity. And so I think that's really kind of the core question behind all of these social and cultural issues today is, is often a misunderstanding of what it means to be created in God's image and have human dignity, value, and worth. And we see that really tee into a lot of the conversations surrounding technology, whether it's privacy, whether it's facial recognition, whether it's biometrics, whether it's bi uh, biotech, um, whether it's uh, transhumanism and some of those questions that you brought up. It's just kind of that's really that idea of the image of God or the fancy term for it is theological anthropology. Anthropology mm -hmm. simply meaning the study of mankind or humanity is what does the Bible talk about? How's the Bible framing these things up? Because as believers, that's where we go to our, for our answers. That's the truth that God has revealed to us. Um, and so that's really where we have to base our understanding of what it means to be human is based on what scriptures say. Mm, yeah. And Kurt, I want you to jump in here, but it is so interesting just to think of, um, some of the early, you know, false teaching going on in the church was just Gnosticism and to, to escape the body, seeing all of physical bad. And so I'm thinking of kind of transhumanism. I think that's some of what they're, they assert that the body is something to flee from and escape. And of course, you know, there's elements of it that we as believers would say, well, this is kind of what, what, what we're saying, but then also distortions of that. And so it's interesting just to see how these old kind of heresies are manifesting themselves through this technological age. Mm -hmm. um, so Kurt, please jump in. Well, I was just going to piggyback off what she said. I thought interesting. I was having a conversation about Gnosticism with some students actually this morning <laughs> at our Bible study, because we were talking about uh, people who try to find hidden meanings in scripture, that what the scriptures really mean is hidden. It was hidden to the original hearers, but now we've unlocked it with this, you know, kind of like, I call it national treasure gospel. It's like, mm -hmm. Oh, we didn't, you know, and there's something really like um, uh, intoxicating about that, right? About the idea that you would uh, get to be in on this. And I think that in a lot of ways, technology fuels that desire, right? It's like giving us an ability we wouldn't have otherwise. It's like now we're special because we know there's even in just simple things like knowing like the most efficient route to get to, you mm -hmm. know, the grocery store. Uh, so in a lot of ways, you know, not surprisingly, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, yeah. right? Um, the same things that were motivating the people back before the internet existed are still motivating them now, just in a different way. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. I mean, that idea of secret knowledge, um, you also hear in terms of conspiracy theories. There's mm -hmm. kind of some correlation there. Um, and the idea of, well, I have some inf special information that nobody else knows. Mm. So you see it kind of play its way out in that way. But then as, as you said, John, is going back to the idea of transhumanism. I think a lot of people, when they hear the word transhumanism, immediately think of like transgender. Mm -hmm. uh, but transhumanism is trans is overcoming. So it's overcoming the limitations of humanity. And we realize that our bodies are not perfect, that they age, that they die, they we get older, we start to decay when we die. And so that idea is like overcoming the physical limitations. And so often in kind of these transhumanism debates, there's an overvaluing. We, you are really your mind. 
um, as some would say, this isn't all across the board on transhumanism, but a lot of transhumanists say you're nothing but your mind. That's who you really are versus the idea of some will say, well, you're nothing but your body. And that's really who you are. Your brain is just some chemical processes, consciousness, your memories, all of that stuff, emotions. It's really just this materialistic type of worldview. And so you have these kind of two polar opposites. And the Bible says you're both. You're an embodied soul. You are your body, but you also are your soul. You are your mind. You are your heart. You are a unified being. That's how God has made you. That's in many ways what it means to be human is that this is a status. This is something create that God has made us. He's made us in his image, uh, meaning that we are our minds and our bodies united. And so you see this even in questions of like the metaverse and virtual reality of this disembodied reality or this disembodied life. And that really kind of this embodiment issue, I think, is one of the most important questions that we can be equipping the next generation to say is your body does say certain things about you, certain truths about you. And, and your body and your body affects the way your mind works. It would exactly. be foolish to say otherwise. I mean, there's a reason why people who are shorter are more aggressive that some people would call it like Napoleon syndrome or whatever, but you know, their body has affected the way that they, you know, that, that's a stereotype. Not everyone is the same, but like, there's no question that the way in which our body yeah. works affects the way our mind and to divide those two things is, I would say it's a fool's errand. I think the scriptures, I get that from the scriptures this is just my opinion, but, yeah. um, but even I think what's so interesting about what you're talking about, uh, Jason, is, you know, death is the one thing that uh, that people can't escape, that the scriptures and those existential questions that go beyond death speak to that, uh, you know, it's like the unspoken thing. It's like the hurdle that they can't get over that someone if you if you want to live without God. The one thing that's just sitting there, that nagging thing is like, hey, you're going to die. We're all going to die. Yeah. Um, and and you are finite. And it, it, it's interesting to see how I think people have always been trying to overcome that in different ways, whether through, you know, religion or through other ways, through science. But now it's even more uh, out there, I guess, or in mm -hmm. the open that people are actively trying to get past what it means to be human. Um, anyway, interesting. No, you're. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's where you often see kind of a devaluing of the body. Yeah. And the interesting thing about death is that it's a temporary disembodiment. So when our bodies do die, there are resurrected bodies. That's the beautiful thing about the, the hope of the gospel and why people often ask me, why are you so uh, joyful and hopeful when you talk about technology? Isn't it dark and all this dystopian type of thing? And I'm like, no, because I know the end of the story my savior, Jesus Christ himself is, has a resurrected body and we will become like him. He is coming back. So while death is temporary and that disembodiment is temporary, and there's a lot of theological resources on the nature of what that is and how long that is and all of that stuff that you can get into with your pastors and ministry leaders. Um, but the real core question is that's temporary. Death has been defeated and we will be resurrected and given resurrected bodies and then getting back to like the transhumanism thing, that's one of the things that's interesting to me is the devaluing of the body. But God, the son, the incarnate eternal God, our son, son of God became incarnate. So it immediately and incarnate means incarnate, meaning like in flesh, he became flesh. And that's really interesting to me as well as when you get into these debates is 
the God of the universe who created everything took on flesh. So it's speaking to the he value of our body. He, he dignifies the, it. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're not just your mind and you're not just your body. And that's that kind of dualistic approach mm. uh, that I think is a really helpful way for us to be talking about the image of God and what does it mean to be human is that we're embodied souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's just so fascinating to me how we continue to have this discussion and we continue to see how the scripture fits into all of this. I yeah. mean, just the, the biblical worldview of all of this. Um, it's just, it's, it's awesome that while, you know, the scriptures don't specifically say the words artificial intelligence. I mean, we're talking about the incarnation here and how it ties into all of this. Um, look, Jason, um, I know we're about to have to draw this to a close. You did mention the metaverse and I would love for you just a, a few words on, on the metaverse and your research. Again, you're, you're spending a lot of time, um, as we've kind of already said, your PhD work is in privacy and, um, uh, issues surrounding that, but just any words on, on the metaverse and your research that you've come across that you think could be helpful for other people listening. Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts on the metaverse, but we'll save those for another podcast and another time. <laughs> um, but I, I'll say this kind of, uh, don't panic. I think right now, especially in the church, there's like all this kind of fixation on the metaverse, like, Oh, it's coming in our virtual. What are we going to have to really decide if we're going to have virtual campuses, these digital VR type campuses. And I'm, I almost kind of laugh about it a little bit because I think if anything, the COVID-19 pandemic showed us that we're woefully behind in the church, technologically speaking, (laughs) because when the pandemic hit, everyone started to do these virtual online gatherings because we were unable to gather in person and many churches were just figuring out how to have websites or just how to face, you know, just to live stream a service, much less develop a virtual world where we all gather together. This is more of a five and 10 year type of question in my mind about, you know, the idea of the metaverse and live. But then even in that, I, I love virtual reality. I think it's neat. I've been able to have meetings in it and things like that. But it's really interesting to me is that um, there are some disorienting effects to virtual reality. And also some health effects to virtual reality of long-term exposure. And so I think there's, it's a really interesting conversation to have, especially in light of a lot of the conversation about digital gatherings or the church gathering digital or online church. So I think this is there's a lot more in this conversation that could be fleshed out. But I think my biggest takeaway for uh, pastors, ministry leaders, and youth workers is don't panic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think we we assume it's happening tomorrow, but I think meta, the metaverse or church in the metaverse is really going to be many years down the road for most people. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we need to keep it at arm's length and not talk about it. We can engage these issues, but we engage these issues talking about really the nature of embodiment, that we are embodied souls. So that idea is we're not just our minds. We're not just something that can be transported to a virtual world is that our bodies are part of what it means to be human. And we need to be engaging that. And that's why the Bible speaks to the physical gathering of the local church. It's not just because we're in a physical space to hear the sermon and a more consumeristic mindset is that we are embodied in the sense that we worship God, not only in our minds and our songs and our thoughts, but also in our bodies and being with one another. We miss that. And I think that's something that was really striking in the midst of the pandemic Um, is that we longed, we wanted to be with other people, not just be with them digitally, but to actually be with people. There was something to that. And I think that's really instructive as we move forward and questions about the metaverse. Yeah. And now that's a, that's a good word. Just to everybody calm down, relax. The metaverse is not just about to take over the world. Um, and it's kind of, you know, down the road in terms of Um, church, Kurt. 
I'm the pastor of a gigantic uh, health and wealth gospel mega church in, in the metaverse. I don't I think I need to tell you all that. <laughs> forgot well, to yeah, forgot to mention that in your bio. Yes, yeah, so I have a book. I have a book out in the metaverse called Your Best Second Life. Now, so oh, um, anyway, it's it's massive. I'm I'm killing it. So. <laughs> Uh, sad to say, I'm, I'm fairly certain that book's probably already been written and it's out there somewhere um, if we were to Google it. Um, listen, uh, we're also excited too, just as we're closing this out, that Jason will be uh, writing an entry for RYM uh, and the track series, uh, Students Got to Social Media, uh, which is forthcoming, uh, but we're excited to get that in the hands of others. But um, Jason, I'd love for you to also tell our listeners about your other forthcoming book, as well as just kind of how people can keep up with you and the, the work that you're doing with the ERLC. Yeah, the easiest way to stay connected is just go to my website, jasonthacker.com. That way it lists all the books that are coming out, the podcasts that I host, all the writing I do um, in terms of articles and newsletter and things like that. Um, But that next book is called Following Jesus in a Digital Age. It comes out August 30th um, of this year, 2022, and is focused really on the nature of what is technology. And then really identifying three key kind of core elements. It was uh, how technology is shaping our view of the truth, how technology is shaping our view of ourselves and kind of our moral responsibility, as well as our understanding of our identity, which is really one of the big questions in terms of polarization and kind of the tribalization and the division that we see in our cultures today. Um, And so that's really where the book focuses on how technology is shaping and discipling us and how we can follow Jesus in light of the biblical wisdom. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Um, And that's August 30th. Everybody should, should pick that up. I know that will be a helpful resource for the church. Uh, Jason, look, I know you've got a lot going on, so I really appreciate you spending time with us over this last uh, few weeks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Once again, I want to thank Jason Thacker for being a part um, of the Technically Speaking portion of the podcast and just being with us over the last uh, three weeks and um, just appreciate his time and his wisdom and uh, encouraging everybody to continue to keep up with all that he's putting together. Um, Next week, we hope to have uh, Linda and Lynn joining me uh, for Technically Speaking, so be sure to tune into that as we're discussing some issues uh, specifically related to to teenage girls, Um, uh, so be sure to, to tune in and check that out. Um, right now, this is a conversation that Scott Bird, uh, Tree Triolo, and I got to have uh, with Joe Bernard. Um, Joe, as you'll hear, is a pastor over in Scotland, and he uh, he and I have connected um, through the years, and uh, he had reached out about uh, something else, and then we were going back and forth every email, and he just said he had some uh, questions about doing youth ministry in a Scottish context. And uh, I said, hey, why don't we just uh, record a podcast and you kind of bring some of your qu- questions that you have and some of the issues that you're dealing with, and uh, we'll see if we, if we can help out. Um, and then also he's got some some questions for us as well. Um, and, and as we say in the podcast too, um, please reach out. If you have any thoughts after you listen to, to Joe, anything that you think could be helpful for his context, uh, we would love to put you in, in contact with Joe. Um, we appreciate the work that he's doing um, over there. And uh, just as we say in the podcast uh, a little bit later is to be sure to, to pray uh, for his church and pray for the work that he's doing. Um, but we think these conversations are, are so important uh, just to remind us uh, how big God's kingdom is, uh, to remind us of just unique challenges that uh, manifest themselves uh, throughout God's kingdom and, and how we can partner to to minister to the next generation uh, more uh, efficiently, effectively, um, 
Yeah, and it's just it's important for us to, to keep us sharp to hear uh, various issues that come up in different contexts, and then at the same time uh, to see how similar uh, contexts are as well. Um, so we hope this conversation is beneficial for you. Uh, so right now, here's here's Joe. Joe, it's good to have you on the podcast today. Hope you're well. Doing well, yeah. It's a pleasure. And um, I realize at the time of this recording, it's the afternoon for you over in Scotland, uh, but it's kind of the, the morning for us. Is it, remind me, six hours difference? Is that right? Yeah, six hours. So uh, we actually have a little bit of sunlight still over here, which is great. All right. All right. Um, so look, we're going to jump in talking a little bit about, um, youth ministry and just ministry in general and in your context over in in Scotland. But before we do that, I'd love for you to talk about your, your, uh, books. Uh, you've got the way forward, a roadmap of spiritual growth for men of the 21st century. And that's been out a couple of years, but you've also got a new book hot off the press, uh, entitled surviving the trenches, killing sin before it kills you. Um, I'd love for you to to talk about that a bit. Definitely makes me think of John Owen as I read that title. So I'd love for you just to kind of describe that a little bit for us. Yeah, uh, this, you know, comes out of, I think, of uh, what is a little bit of a gap in a lot of training for Christians. Um, it's amazing how if you're a Christian in, in a decent church, you'll get endless opportunities to get training in evangelism, um, in prayer. But truth be told, not just years, but but decades can go by and nobody really gives you focused treatment on what we can do to do what Paul tells us we should be doing, which is putting sin to death, uh, which is a problem because it's one of these things we all know we struggle with. And But you have a lot of Christians who really aren't certain what the resources are within the gospel uh, in order to be able to fight against sin. So, you know, it's a book that takes that topic, but it's written to men and it's written really to address four contemporary sins that just wreak havoc in the lives of ordinary guys. So uh, two are uh, thought about often, uh, pride, lust, but then the other two, vanity and sloth, uh, which I think are really deadly, we don't think about much at all. And so, you know, it's taking up that topic of mortification, but putting in a contemporary context and helping guys with some specific sinful passions that they know are already a problem in their lives. Yeah, I've only been able to, to peek at a little bit of it, and, and it's excellent. And so just encourage everyone, you can go to Amazon and check that out. You can go to Christian Focus uh, Publications and uh, get that. And I always encourage people, especially something like this. I mean, this would be a perfect small group study, and uh, you can order in bulk from Christian Focus. Um, but yeah, any men's ministry out there, any um, I could see you know youth workers using this alongside students as well um, and kind of modifying it. So um, thank you for your work in that. I mean, it is such an important, I mean, I can remember uh, being, uh, I think out of college before I was even introduced to the concept of, of mortification of sin and, um, yeah, being humbled by reading John Owen and just thinking, wow, I've never thought about my sin in this way and fighting it by the, the power of the spirit. So, uh, thank you for your, for your labors there. Um, and as this book was coming out, Joe and I kind of connected and, um, we've had some some conversations before, but but Joe is in uh, Scotland now uh, doing some work and uh, was just kind of sharing some of the the unique challenges uh, over there to do ministry. Um, one of those is just the growing secularism taking place. And so maybe just begin as well, letting our listeners know where you are, what kind of work you're doing, and then also kind of the, the context you're in. And we'll just jump in from there. Yeah. So uh, this is my second time actually working uh, in Scotland. I spent about eight years doing church revitalization in a rural context up in the Scottish Highlands. Uh, and then just this last year, moved back to Scotland. And so now I'm doing uh, really revitalization, but within an established church in, in an urban context in the middle of Edinburgh. 
And really the work in Scotland is all fairly similar in that this is a country which if you know anything about church history has a glorious spiritual past. Um, you've got no end to the uh, wonderful individuals and movements that have come out of Scotland. And so in the minds of a lot of American Christians, Scotland still conjures up the sort of names of uh, the, the Robert Murray McShanes or the, the John Knoxes or the Thomas Chalmers. But you know, this is a country that's been absolutely devastated by secularism really for the last uh, 60 years. And so, you know, you're looking at a context where uh, in the present moment in a city like Edinburgh, where I work, um, the, the numbers indicate that, that one out of a hundred youth have any contact with uh, a church at all. So um, you've got just an absolutely unreached generation, but equally you've got institutions that are just pushing things further toward a kind of uh, radical secularism. And so it's a really interesting context in that you've got churches full of older Christians that represent the kind of Christendom past, but then all around the church, you've got a set of people that know absolutely nothing about the gospel. And so there's all kinds of interesting points of tension and, and difficulties in terms of church leadership and church growth in, in this kind of context. Wow. Well, and, and I want to turn this over to, to Scott and, and Tree uh, pretty soon. Just out of curiosity, this might be a dumb question. Um, when you're talking about the, the lack of contact that youth have with a, a church, how do they typically spend their time? I mean, I'm asking this question from a Mississippian Bible Belt. Everyone's in the church. Everyone has some kind of connection to the church. So how are they spending their time? And then I, I want Scott to jump in as well. You know, and I think this is where there's, there's, there's changes. Uh, you've got, I mean, with, with technology now, you've got so many more youth just inside. I know even when I was up in a rural context, uh, whereas you would have had 10 years before the youth even in the Scottish climate, which is wet, cold, it's a miserable outdoor climate most of the time. Uh, but you would still have youth not doing good stuff, but, you know, drinking, you know, in the woods or, you know, at a, at a bus stop or something. But what was really bizarre is in this modern context, what people do is they stay home and they, they play games with, you know, friends online. Um, so uh, a lot of the, that whole kind of gaming culture, um, there is some sport, uh, you know, there's, uh, less and less kind of organized activity. So it, it's hard. I think it's a moment where a lot of questions are about, well, what are the youth doing? Because they're not doing the things that they had done for generations, which was always just be outside playing soccer or things like that. So that's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. So Joe, you said there's a lot of people that, um, that just don't know the gospel, have never heard the gospel. Do you, do you think there's a lot of, you know, the youth there, are they, opposed to Christianity? Is it um, you know, something that's really offensive to them? Or is it just kind of indifference and ignorance? You know, it is something that, uh, if not offensive, it's a point of ridicule. So one of, the, one of the struggles is if you are a, say, teenage Christian in Scotland right now, in, in high school, not only do you feel like you're the only Christian in your class, but if it becomes public that you are a Christian, you're almost guaranteed that you'll be made fun of uh, for that part of your identity. And it's strange because it's not as if other youth um, know much about Christianity. Uh, and it's not as if they're not breathing in a lot of the cultural air in terms of, you know, being accepting toward others. But for whatever reason, you know, to, to carry that badge as a youth of being a Christian makes you stand out in a way that that's really challenging. And so in terms of that youth Christian culture, uh, it's, it's, 
it's hard to prepare Christians so early to have to be willing to show courage uh, and not just want to hide out and blend in, which is a big problem here. Yeah, Joe, can I ask a question jumping off of that? Um, so how do you disciple students to persevere in that? Because I, I can imagine how hard it is for a student who's, for the lack of a better term, hiding in the crowd and feeling this tension of, I, I know what I believe, but I also feel like I'm the only one here. How do you disciple them to persevere and to, um, to hold fast to their faith in the midst of that culture? You know, I think, I think this has been one of the great challenges. And to be honest, if we think broadly in terms of the church in Scotland over the last uh, couple of generations, uh, we've done really poorly over here because the, the sort of uh, retention rates among youth is not just frustrating, it's, it's, it's just heartbreakingly low. Uh, I think what the sort of things that you can see make a difference, um, you know, one is certainly uh, having close community with not just Christians of your own age, but of that multi-generation, um, you know, that kind of tribal aspect where you can really have a group of people that you look in their eyes and know that they have the same identity that you do. And so churches that aren't just big gatherings, but uh, that have real shared life and where you've got people looking into the lives of youth from different generations makes a big difference. And I think the other ingredient, and this isn't rocket science, but making sure that these youth have opportunities to be together in a social setting where they're actually just among other Christians. I know that's so obvious, but here it's uh, it's so rare. So for them to actually have that space over a week, over summer or some other school vacation, when they're among other Christians, I mean, that is that is such a recharge in this kind of setting. And so it's so important for parents to really invest in those opportunities for their youth. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, because as I'm, I'm, you know, hearing this this picture, I mean, sounding fairly bleak for, for teenagers over in, in Scotland. I mean, I'm just imagining a teenager who walks in the doors of a church you know, would almost hang their head in shame as they exit that building to just, you know, for fear of being seen by other peers. And, and so do they have much community? I mean, are, are there teenagers who really don't have a lot of peer community? Their community is with older adults. I mean, just maybe describe that a little bit for us. Yeah. You know, I think what's difficult is uh, there, there's a certain kind of teenager here that does well. Uh, the, the sort of natural leader has an easier time standing out um, drawing together their own social, social circle, but not everybody has that temperament. And so I think the more typical approach is that you have a lot of teenagers that have a dual identity. Uh, so they, they know how to come with their family, uh, at least for a while. Truth be told, there's an aspect of Scottish church life where parents are happy to let their kids stop showing up at church fairly young. However, uh, a lot of teenagers, they know how to show up, kind of go through the routine, but they drop that identity. And when they go into school, it's a very different person that uh that lives and moves and um you know behaves among peers and so trying to find uh the the, dis, the the form of discipleship that will really create a kind of integrity of faith and, and the willingness to, to courageously have a christian identity uh both among peers and within the church that's one of the big challenges so um i think what you just described parents kind of letting their kids kind of drop out of of the church and church involvement is is um 
I think a, a common uh, complaint among youth pastors, even here, um, do, do you challenge those parents or how do you, how do you handle that? I think part of, part of the struggle here is uh, you're having to start at a much more basic level. And so uh, getting families to really think about discipleship and, and them being involved in discipleship uh, and uh, making that a part of their home life. I mean, these are things that we struggle with in the States as well as in the UK. It's not, it's not unique here, but there, there's, uh, there's something of the Scottish past, and this sounds a bit foreign to your context, but you know, for a long time, family worship was a thing here um, in a way that people have tried to recover it in parts of the States. Now, the, the danger of that was it was very much, okay, well, if you took your kids to church on Sunday, and if at a few moments, you know, you opened your Bible at home a couple of times a week, then that was discipleship and kind of nothing else really mattered, which, uh, again, kind of created an environment where kids knew how to sit through uh, a family worship time and through a public worship time, but they didn't really have parents that were really looking into their hearts, looking into their, the ways of their life. And as a consequence, uh, there was kind of a secular, sacred divide that crept in and a, a lack of discipleship in the whole sphere of life. Um, so not at all to detract from the importance of that style of discipleship, but over here, something much more holistic was needed, is needed, and it's not present currently. So it's, it's helping parents really understand how to disciple their kids church being a part of that, but the church not taking that role and, and the parents being replaced by the church. So how do you, how do you even begin to engage with that with parents? I mean, what, what is that, what does that kind of conversation look like? And, uh, cause I would imagine that's a pretty big shift for a lot of people, uh, to go from that kind of discipleship to the kind of discipleship that you would long to see in their lives. You know, I think it, it like a lot of, uh, issues, it begins with, with agitating the problem, uh, really helping people recognize that there is a problem and that the solutions that they've leaned on in the past are, are insufficient. And this is where the, part of the difficulty in Scotland is there was an age where there was a whole kind of structure that supported the discipleship of youth. And so you had, uh, you did have grammar schools and, and, and elementary schools where ministers and pastors were in and out of it. Uh, the Bible was, was, was taught, um, you know, you had all kinds of things that were uh, reinforcing what parents might do in the home. Now, all of that's been taken away. And so in, the, in this current age, um, you know, parents have to recognize that every kind of influence in their child's life is, uh, is, is educating them in a secular identity. And so unless something begins to happen in the home, uh, that child, you can only expect it to drift over time, you know, in, in the direction of the current. And so uh, once parents really feel, okay, well, I'm going to have to take ownership over this problem, then I think it begins to be, well, so what's the role of the church? Because you're going to need us. We're going to have to support you. But then what can't we do that you need to do? And how can we set you up for that? And then if we can get those pieces together, and if we can get some you know, community around uh, the solution, then we can begin to have a productive way forward. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad we're getting into this Um topic of discipleship. I know you, you sent an email and kind of listed some of the issues that you're, you're dealing with over there and some of the encouraging aspects or, or missions taking place over there that you're seeing kind of a resurgence in, in missions, but we know there's got to be a balance with missions and discipleship. There's kind of 
I always forget, is it one side of the same coin or two sides of the same coin? I always say that, that wrong. It's a, there, there's got to be both. And, um, and so just kind of explain some of the tension there that you're, you're seeing some conversions, some people even making professions, but then it's kind of like after that, okay, what do we do since we're not getting connected to a church and kind of the, the, the discipleship? Yeah, I think what's happened in this context is uh, for so long, the church was on the back defensive foot. And the beautiful thing in Scotland over the last 20 years has been a resurgence of missional thinking, church planning. And so churches have a healthy confidence that the gospel really is going to transform the lives of people. Um, so there's a, there's a healthy emphasis on evangelism and mission. The, the, the challenge is I don't think the church has really understood the degree to which uh, institutions and the sort of cultural life of Scotland shapes the identity of Scottish people, including those within the church. And so, you know, in a way that's somewhat premature, you know, we expect uh, youth to be able to be a part of that evangelistic effort when most of the time um, they're, they're barely alive spiritually and they, they're, they're so inundated with, with the sort of pressures and questions and concerns of their peers uh, that they're not really a healthy witness. They're, they're really slowly, I mean, that kind of the, the ground of their faith's eroding. And so, uh, yeah, the, the need is for a much more robust form of discipleship, not, not to take them out of that missional context, but to make sure they're really ready and able to be the light that they need to be. So how do you, uh, how do you reach those people, like those students, if, uh, if Christianity is kind of, uh, an easy target to be made fun of? And for teenagers, that's, you don't want to be a part of something that's going to be made fun of. Um, how do you reach those people? Kind of what does that strategy look like practically? Um, you know, is it just getting friends to, to share the gospel with their friends or do y'all have kind of events or, or what? Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in terms of outreach in Scotland, what, what's going well in terms of youth? Um, you know, it's, it, everything's on a fairly small scale. So, uh, you know, it, it's, the, the sort of fun youth event, there, there's no, there, there's, there's no bait that's just going to attract a huge crowd of interest. And so I think organizations like Young Life that, you know, in, in a lot of other contexts, you know, they, they can put a really fun event on and guarantee that they'll get some interest. Um, it's going to be a really small group here. Um, so I think in the same, it, it's, it's very similar to uh, evangelism with an older demographic. It's primarily going to be uh, person to person. It's going to be through showing love and concern getting to know them, them appreciating, there really is something distinctive and different, in fact, better about your life than mine. And from that, having opportunities to, to share the gospel and introduce them really into a community context in which uh, they experience something of the gospel in the way it's changed people's lives. Um, so it's, it's not gonna be the event. The events in Scotland don't produce a lot of fruit. It's mainly gonna be through uh, the real, uh, the character, uh, the love, the relationship that, that you're gonna get the opportunity to talk about the gospel. Um, I'd love to hear too, just, uh, some of the issues that you're seeing students deal with over there. I mean, over here, we've talked about just the, um, stats on depression and anxiety kind of going through the roof. You've already mentioned kind of just isolating themselves with technology and gaming. Um, what are you seeing in terms of depression, anxiety with students, and then any other issues that you're seeing students dealing with over there? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, youth have, struggled over over this over the lockdown in particular uh which has been probably more severe in the scottish context than uh you know some of the places in the states um and so 
you know, de depression is higher, loneliness is higher, which obviously feeds into other other issues and problems. Um, I think in terms of, uh, I mean, I think something that that is is more and more talked about as an issue, you know, not just kind of pornography, but but you know, the sort of violent pornography and the sort of things that. Um, teenagers uh, begin to realize can have long-term devastating effects. And I think Christian teenagers. So, um, you know, I, I, I often with my men's ministry deal more with guys in their early twenties, but who aren't far from their teenage years, but really uh, are, are, are anxious about what the effect is going to be from, from years engaging in, in pornography in particular. So um, uh, I don't know that, you know, the, um, you know, the behavior would be that different. Um, certainly lots of heavy drinking, drug use is, is going up, um, self-harm is going up over here. All of these things, you know, people, people medicating deep pain and the pains only seems to be increasing in recent years. Well, Joe, I know we're, we're just, uh, we're sitting here peppering you with questions, but I would love for you to, to ask us some questions as well. I know that's some of the the reaching out is um, trying to partner, trying to think of, of ways in which we can can reach the youth specifically in Scotland. And even as you know, we're saying this, uh, telling our listeners, look, if there are some of you who are listening to this and who are thinking, you know, would love to, to reach out to Joe and share, you know, this idea, this thought, this prayer, or if anyone feels called to go and do ministry over in Scotland to, to definitely um, reach out to Joe. But I'd love for you to just ask us some questions and I'll obviously let Scott and Tree answer those because they're, they're the experts. You know, I think uh, there's, there's probably a, an opportunity in Scotland that a lot of American Christians may not realize. Uh, there are things that, that are invested in here and that are gaining momentum. And I mentioned earlier, things like church planning, which is fantastic. There's other things though, where America has a dynamic culture, spiritual culture, which is lacking here. So I think when it comes to uh, youth ministry, when it comes to thinking about uh, Christian education, um, you know, these are areas where you're hard pressed to find much happening anywhere in Scotland. And so uh, people who aren't church planners, but maybe who have a passion for youth or for who have a passion, again, for thinking about more holistic ways of training Christian youth, um, those are areas of great service where there's creative, creative thinking that's required but also just uh, kind of pioneering individuals that would want to come and make a difference in a, in a city like Edinburgh, or Glasgow, or even in a rural setting. Um, so I, I guess maybe the, the, the question I'd ask you all is, um, what do you find in terms of uh, the discipleship of youth um, really making the difference in the lives where, where, where you are? Um, what, what are? What are the core ingredients that families in Scotland would be able to say, okay, in an American context, you know, these are the these are the non-negotiables of youth discipleship that, that we've seen, and so these would be the most important ingredients to think about uh, pulling together in a church context over here. Yeah, my, my knee jerk um, to this, and I, I definitely want Scott and Tree uh, to speak up speak up because they're in a church doing this ministry right now. I'm, I'm you know removed from full time youth ministry in the church. I, I volunteer often and, and still involved and have a youth in my house, um, <laughs> a few of them. But what, what I saw um, as I think back over the ministry was just kind of something you've already said is one-to-one -one discipleship, um, really seeing just the, the significance of coming alongside students 
And yes, it's slow work. It's uh, frustrating at times. Sometimes you pick up a junior high student from school to drive them home. You're thinking, did anything just happen in this conversation? Um, but but God's gracious to work. And uh, you, you see kind of through the years, just that slow kind of plodding along, getting to have what seem like meaningless conversations or ultimately building up trust among that student to know, hey, here, here's an adult I can talk to. Here's an adult I can trust. And um, so that's kind of the first thing. There are definitely some other things, but that's the, the knee jerk for me is just that kind of slow one-to-one discipleship that you, you've kind of referenced. Tree, I know you want to speak up as well. Yeah, and I would just echo that. I mean, I think the the, the present piece is so key. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can look back on my time in ministry and I just remember those moments where I'd show up at a student's game and they realized I was there and then maybe not in like extreme ways, but the relationship changed a little bit because they realized that I cared enough to go watch them play tennis or soccer or whatever it was. Um, so I think that the, the being present piece is so, so key. There's that old phrase that uh, I'm going to butcher it now that we're recording. Uh, <laughs> they won't know you're there until they know you, you care. Uh, and I think that's, that's huge. Um, but I think we also have to couple that with some other things too. I mean, we can't just show up at games and hang out with them and, do the fun stuff. Uh, you know, we're, we're called to disciple and we're called to teach them. Uh, so I think the, the discipleship piece, piece, the, the one-on-one ministry has to be coupled with us engaging the Bible with them, um, on a regular basis. So I, I'm a, I have a, a, a huge heart for, for teaching and, and how I go about doing it. And, and, uh, I'd, I, I long for the day where my students know the Bible better than me. I, I know that's uh, probably a long shot, but, um, but I, I want them to know the scriptures. I want them to, to know how to interact with their Bibles. Uh, you know, even just, you know, knowing how to turn to a, a certain book, uh, that's a win, right? Uh, unfortunately, in, the, in these days, it's a win. Um, but I, I, I want a couple the the weekly ministry that I do with good solid teaching I don't want to give them some sort of watered down like oh Jesus loves you amen um, kind of lesson I want them to to engage with difficult topics but also engage with the with how the Bible uh, interacts with those topics so I would say one-on-one ministry constant discipleship uh, solid teaching and Sorry, that was my phone. Um, it's the second podcast in a row that my, my phone has done that. Uh, but I, I, you know, the, I, I think of Eugene Peterson's long obedience in the same direction. I, I love that that uh, that picture of how we're we're continually plodding along, but we're always moving somewhere, right? We're always we're always going somewhere, and I want to to take the students with me um, as as we're going on that journey together. Uh, through that discipleship and through that teaching. Yeah. And, and another thing that was, that was a good tree. Another thing that kind of came to mind is, um, and really some of what, what tree is, is sharing is kind of uh, trying to educate the entire congregation on the importance of discipling the next generation. And so I know you, you said, you know, parenting seminars are absent over there. It's, it's hard to, to get anyone to kind of buy into that, but getting, you know, if you can get the congregation to kind of buy into the importance of this and even kind of having an education of like a scope and sequence of what you want to try to to teach students from this age group to this age group and even 
doing some teacher training where it's not just all on your shoulders, where you're, uh, you know, equipping the saints to, to, to jump in and to be volunteers. If uh, again, as I say, these things, I'm thinking from an American context, you know, of small groups and things like that, if that's even possible. Um, so push back on some of that. Let, let me know what would, does that sound? I mean, that's not rocket science or anything like that, but does that sound doable of kind of getting the whole congregation to kind of buy into this and trying to, to make a push to, to, you know, specifically target these, these teens and, um, you know, buy into the whole discipleship process. Yeah, I think that's, I think that is what's needed. And a, uh, there's been, you know, I think the shift here has been away from, uh, the more, uh, kind of in, intentional, careful instruction to more of a kind of fun, like relational form of ministry, uh, which is reacting from the past where that was missing almost altogether in the Scottish context. The only problem with it has been, given the rise of secularism, the youth very much need the training, teaching as well to kind of iron out their thinking and to, to be able to have honest conversations about topics. And so uh, yeah, there's there's definitely a need to really talk through what, what are we going to cover, how are we going to cover it, um, and to make sure that, yes, we're building all of the relationships, but we're also getting uh, the conversations, the teaching that youth need to really, again, be able to have a, a framework and worldview uh, that's going to prepare them for this world. So uh, there aren't many churches that... Uh, that are doing that. So certainly that, that's another thing, you know, if you're listening to this and, and if that's, that's something that you've done elsewhere, come to Scotland and, and share your gleanings with uh, the church over here. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we're, we're about to wrap this up. Um, Scott tree, uh, do you guys want to jump in any last questions, last thoughts, anything that's, that's come to mind tree? Yeah. Uh, so you talked about getting the church involved. Uh, I think kind of a big, I think universal, problem that I think most churches are facing right now is volunteer recruitment, um, especially coming out of COVID. I think it, people have gotten really used to not serving. There we go again. Sorry. People have gotten used to not serving. And I, I think, I, I know, especially for our church, we're struggling to find volunteers for certain things. Um, and I, I can only imagine in a a secularized culture that that might be harder. So how do you go about finding people that actually want to invest in, in time with youth? You know, the, the, I think that this, this is, this is the hard work uh, that is ongoing. Uh, And so I think right now that the sad thing is uh, again, with a longer, more severe lockdown, there's a whole lot less than there was. And so trying to begin to scrape together uh, just some of the basic youth ministry that was there in a city like Edinburgh. Some of it's some of it's happening, but not nearly enough of it. Um, and so, the volunteer need is more critical here than elsewhere. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's the challenge, but it's where vision, passion, you know, is is always a part of the recruitment process. So I've got one last question for you too. Um, the, I mean, ministry is hard anywhere. I think. Um, but it seems like, especially in Scotland, it would be hard, at least for me, that would be tough to be in, in that uh, context. What, what encourages you? Like, what do you, um, what do you go to for encouragement? I think uh, part of what's so encouraging is the history of this particular place, um, to know how much God has done before. And it reminds you a little bit of, you know, in the, with the patriarchs, you know, you'll read about 
you know, going back and where a well had been and kind of redigging these wells. And there's something, there's something like that with the work here in Scotland. It is frustrating. It's slow. There's no low lying fruit that's available. So if, you know, it doesn't feed your flesh in that sense. Um, but when you just are reminded of the degree to which God has favored this place before, it affects your prayers because, you know, you really just plead that he'd look again, uh, not because of, you know, anything within the culture right now, but just because he's really shown a love for this nation before. And um, just, just, you know, praying for the, the grandchildren and great, great grandchildren of these very faithful Christians. And, and they're still, you know, the remnant of the church here is still a beautiful picture of godliness. And so they pray faithfully. And you just long for those prayers to, to result in, you know, conversions and uh, a, new, a new movement of the spirit. Amen to that, for sure. Um, Joe, it's, it's encouraging for us to, to hear you uh, laboring over there. Um, I know, as, as Scott said, it can ministry is challenging anywhere, but to, to hear the unique challenges, um, I hope for you at least to know you're not alone. I mean, it's a reminder for us of just how big God's kingdom is and to, to know that his church is, is over in Scotland um, and that uh, brothers and sisters like you are laboring uh, to bring the gospel. Uh, so it's encouraging for us. I think these conversations are are so important uh, for us to have, for, for our listeners just to, to stop and to think. Um, you know, the, the different context of how people are trying to communicate the gospel to the next generation, but to our listeners as well, just pray for Scotland today. You know, as you're hearing this, um, pray, pray for Joe specifically, pray for, for the church, but, but also, um, you know, as we said, reach out to us. I mean, you can uh, email at podcast at rym.org. If you have any thoughts you want us to pass along. Um, but, but also Joe, tell us again, wh which church you're at. And um, if people would like to, to contact you as well. So it's Holyrood Evangelical Church, and it's in Edinburgh. And so you can visit the website, uh, but you can get my contact details through, again, Holly, Holyrood Evangelical Church. All right. Well, Joe, I also I want to remind our um, listeners about your newest book, Surviving the Trenches, Killing Sin Before It Kills You. Uh, you can get that at Amazon or Christian Focus. Um, thank you for your work there. And thank you for your, your work in Scotland. And please continue to reach out to us. And, and uh, we might have you back on as well to have some more conversation. But thanks for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you.